Okay, let me say a word about where I'm coming from and a couple other things, and we just plow and get started. I was born and raised on a dairy farm in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and I came to Christ through the sport of hunting. I'll tell you more about that when we talk about reaching relatives, because after 27 years of praying, my mother and dad came to the point of telling me their trust was in Christ alone as their only way to heaven. So I know what it's like to wake up in a nightmare that I just died and went to hell because I lived there for 27 years. And we'll be talking about how to reach relatives. I got my undergraduate schooling, my bachelor's degree at what is now Caring University. Went on to Dallas Seminary where I got my master's and graduated in 1973. And then six years after I graduated, Dallas Seminary asked me if I'd come back and teach part-time. So I'm what they call a visiting professor at Dallas Seminary. But I've been a full-time agent for 41 years. Then I got my doctor of ministry degree at uh, uh, Gordon Conwell up in Boston. But I've been full-time evangelism for 41 years, head up a ministry called Evangel, that everything we do is evangelizing and training others in evangelism. Since 1973, we have presented the gospel just over 30 million people since 1973. Last year, it was right under the 2 million mark. And so everything we do is evangelizing and training other evangelism. Been doing it for 41 years. Nothing I want to do for the next 41, but what I've been doing for the last 41. And that's evangelizing and training others. There's nothing on earth I would rather do than that. Uh, my wife, Tammy, is here somewhere. Uh, there she is. You can raise your hand. We've been married for 44 years. Met on a triple blind date at the state... <laughs> at the state fair over 44 years ago. It was myself and three girls. No, I mean, <laughs> it was a triple blind day, and we were the only ones that lasted. I said to her some time ago, if you had to do it over again, would you still marry me? She said, sure, honey, if I had to do it over again. <laughs> but again, it's a privilege to be with you. Looking forward to it, the most exciting time together. Somebody came in this morning and they said, the reason I'm here is because when it comes to evangelism, I am one fat coward. And what I love about teaching this class, I find most of the people that come are cowards in evangelism. But you did not come to complain how difficult it is or make excuses for not doing it, but instead to learn how. And for that, you ought to be commended. I love the story of the guy that every time you're out fishing, he caught hundreds of fish. Everybody else caught two, he caught 200. They caught three, he caught 300. Fantastic success. And a game warden said to him, I'd really like to know how you do it. He said, well, look, tomorrow I'm going out. Why don't you go out with me? I'll show you how I do it. So they went out to the middle of the lake. When they got there, he took a piece of dynamite and he threw it in the lake. I mean, hundreds of fish come up the surface dead, hundreds. And that game warden was ticked off. He said, you cannot do that. I'm going to throw every law in the book at you. And the man lit a second piece of dynamite and he threw it in the lap of the game warden. <laughs> he said, now, are you going to sit there and complain, or are you going to fish? <laughs> well, what I find exciting is the people who come here do not come to complain, but instead to fish, and for that you ought to be commended. But also what I find interesting about a time like this, when there's so much you'd like to say, so no time to say it in, I always feel like the man who was driving 80 miles an hour on Route 82. A policeman stopped him and said, I'm going to have to arrest you for speeding. The guy said, for speeding, God, be crazy. Sign says 82, I was only going 80. Policeman said, that is a route number, you idiot. That's not the speed limit. <laughs> Guy said, I'm sure the lot of you said something. You should have seen me on 501. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I have to travel about 501, but I hope that your final ought be beneficial. But everywhere I go, I tell people, I don't have time to give my life story. But there is no one who steps in from an audience in America any more grateful to God than I do. 
because, again, I don't have time to give my life story. But I was once inherited speech defect, inherited from my dad's side of the family. That was so severe, I could not pronounce the word T-H-E, duh. And therefore, medical doctors told me to give up all hope of ever being a public speaker. One day, seeing high school with my head between my hands, so knowing to see I was crying, because I had just been ridiculed what seemed like the five from the time, I told God, if you will help me with this defect, I will always use my voice for you. Starting that week, I started having a control I'd never had in my entire life. And that it was a year speech therapy brought me to where I am today. But when you come from that kind of background, you don't take one opportunity for granted. It does not matter the audience of five or audience of 50,000. And it's such great to have this time with you and just looking forward to the time together. I've been privileged to speak in every state except two, South Carolina and Rhode Island found out about me, but they did every state except two, over 60 foreign locations. And so it's just exciting to be here and have this time with you. What we're going to do, and I need your understanding, I misunderstood the time I thought was 8 to 12, and it's obviously 9.30 to 12. So I'm going to discuss two things. What is so scary about evangelism, and how do you talk to your relatives about spiritual things? Then the third item, how to avoid the five most common mistakes we'll have to wait to another time, because I don't like to be rushed through something, and you don't want me to be that either. And so that third item, uh, which is a handout you did not get for that reason, we'll have to wait and talk about that another time. But I want to talk about what is so scary about evangelism, so if you'd pull out that handout, and then that's after our break, we'll take a break a little bit later, and then we'll come back and talk about how to talk to your own relatives about spiritual things. And I hope that through our time together that you'll find this awfully beneficial. Now, again, I call this a mini-seminar because our association has a four-hour seminar called You Can Tell Them. And there's no way I try to teach you this time what we teach in all those times, but I hope that you'll find this mini-seminar very helpful. But what I want to do is start by talking about what's so scary about evangelism and how you overcome those fears. Does everybody have the handout? Did we miss anybody? Everybody have the handout? Everybody have a pen or pencil? Okay, I think we'll get us plow and get started. What's so scary about evangelism and how do you overcome those fears? Now, will you notice how I start? Most believers admit they do not speak to others about Christ with any degree of consistency. Ask a simple question, why don't you? And they will answer in one word. A number of years ago, I was speaking down in the Bahamas, uh, down there suffering for Jesus. <laughs> and one day, I was going through the straw market, and I said to one of the women behind the counter, what's free? She said, the only thing I know is free is salvation. I said, well, why is it free? She said, because all you got to do is receive it. I said, why do you just have to receive it? She said, because Jesus already paid the price when he died for you. That woman did not know me from Adam, and yet the first chance she had, she used to say to me, Christ died for you. Now, I don't think there's anyone here with any kind of walk with Christ that would not like to have that kind of boldness. But there's one four-letter word that tells you what a problem is. And I want to know who knows what our four-letter word is. Say it out loud. Fear, exactly, because you all know, so right in there, F-E-A-R, fear. Now, with that in mind, what are we afraid of? What are all four items frighten us? They are. Now, some time ago, I wrote an article for a Moody magazine, uh, what was then called Moody magazine, and it was entitled, What is So Intimidating About Evangelism? I addressed four different areas. In the next few weeks, we received over... 300 letters in response to that article because our people identified with it. And this mini-seminar grew out of that article. 
Now, there's no way I can tell you everything I'd like to in these four areas. I am not going to try. What I'm going to try to do is give you a new perspective, new way to look at these four areas. Because sometimes perspective changes everything. I love the story of the girl who went home from college. And she said, dear mom and dad, I dropped out of school, moved in with a guy, expecting a baby in May, looking forward to seeing you soon, your daughter Barbara. Then she wrote, P.S., none of the above is true, but I did get an F in my last exam. <laughs> sometimes, perspective, sometimes perspective changes everything. <laughs> well, I want to do is give you a new perspective, new way to look at these four areas. Okay, here we go. Tammy, I just remembered there's a small box in the Tahoe with uh, the mask question in it. Would you mind going down and getting that box? I forgot we didn't bring that up with us because we need this in a little bit. Uh, okay, what are we afraid of? Okay, number one, here we go. I do not know how to, here we go, turn a conversation to spiritual things. I do not know how to turn a conversation to spiritual things. When we walk up to people and we say, what is your biggest problem in evangelism? One of the big things they always say is, I don't know how to turn a conversation. If people would come up to me and say, I want to talk about God, I wouldn't have any problem at all. But I don't know how to do it when they don't. It's not always easy, but I promise you, gang, it's not one-tenth as hard as you're probably making it. Okay, here we go. What's the problem? With each one of these, I want to talk about two things. What's the problem? What's the solution? Okay, first of all, what's the problem? Number one, you're using the wrong approach. 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 You say, Larry, what do you mean by that? Three things that there are. A, you begin by listening, not talking. You begin by listening, not talking. You begin by listening, not talking. Now, look at that next line, would you? The goal is getting them talking while what is the next word say out loud? You listen. People good at turning conversations are not good talkers. They are good listeners. One of the most misunderstood things is you don't have to be a good talker to turn a conversation. What you have to be is a good listener. And people good at it are good listeners. They're not good talkers. Let me ask an awfully simple question. How many tongues did God give you? One. How many years? The reason was, <laughs> the proof is he wanted you to do more listening than talking <laughs> because the goal is to get them talking while you listen. Okay, B, you begin by freeing up, F-R-E-E-I-N-G, not freezing up. You begin by freeing up, F-R-E-E-I-N-G, not freezing up. You begin by freeing up, F-R-E-I-N-G, not freezing up. You begin by freeing up for E-I-N-G, not freezing up. In other words, God giving you a dynamite mind, it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. When you free up instead of freeze up, that mind's in operation, and you begin to think of all kinds of ways to turn a conversation. But you got to free up, not freeze up. One time, a businessman took me to breakfast and said, I'll tell you why I want to take you to breakfast. I want to know what are the key words, the key phrases you use to turn a conversation. I said, I don't have any. He said, no, here's what I mean is, if you want to start talking about God, what are your key words, your key phrases? I said, I don't have any. He said, no, here's what I'm getting at. Suppose you want to start talking about God, what are your key phrases? I said, I don't have any. He said, no, here's what I'm asking. If you want to start turning a conversation, well, I said, I ain't got any. <laughs> he said, how do you do that? I told him what well, I'm going to teach you right now, and the following th week, a salesman called him from Arizona, cold turkey sales call. 
And so the salesman said, uh, may I ask you a question? My friend's thinking all about what I told him. He said, make you a deal. He said, what's that? You ask me a question, I'll ask you a question. You ask me a question, I'll ask you a question. You ask me a question, I'll ask you a question. Salesman said, fair enough, you go first. My friend said, no, you go first. Salesman said, no, you go first. My friend said, no, you go first. Salesman said, no, please go ahead, go first. He said, okay, has anyone ever taken a Bible and shown you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven? He said, well, no, they haven't. My friend said, may I? I'm sorry, that's my second question. Time for your first one. Salesman said, no, if you don't mind, could we talk about this instead? And my friend, Lamb the Christ, on the phone. Salesman said, I don't believe I called you. I've been wondering for the last six months, what do you have to do to get to heaven? And would you believe tonight I picked up the phone and called you? Now, why? Because if I can take a P.S. for a moment, what excites me about being with you this morning, I've been in it for 41 years. Never in my life have I met a day when unsaved are more pushable than today. Because the cancer, huge. They're scared to no end the doctor and say, you've got cancer. The economy, terrorism, and the weirdness of events. Forest storms on the East Coast, mudslides in Colorado, drought in California, 25 earthquakes outside of Dallas, Ebola. Because of that, they are so insecure that never have been a day they are so approachable, and that's why exciting. But my point is, you've got to free up, not freeze up. God's giving a dynamite mind. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit. When you free up instead of freeze up, that mind's in operation, and you begin to think of all kinds of ways to turn the conversation. Okay, C. The flow of the conversation must be natural, not forced. The flow of the conversation must be natural, not forced. The flow of the conversation must be natural, not forced. The flow of the conversation must be natural, not forced. That's why for some people take longer during the conversation than for others. If you said to me in any given conversation, Larry, how long does it take to go from golf to God? I would say sometimes five minutes, sometimes 15 minutes, sometimes 50 minutes, sometimes five hours, on occasion five days. But the flow of the conversation got to be natural. It can't be forced. Sometimes we are having trouble turning conversations. It's because we're trying to do it too abruptly. As you can imagine, I do a tremendous amount of flying, stepping over 80 different planes in the course of a year. And I've found that airplanes are great opportunities to witness. I've also found the rougher the flight, the better the opportunity. <laughs> but one time, I was flying from Dallas to Philadelphia. The woman sitting right next to me had gotten on the plane in Las Vegas, clicked in Dallas, then of course was also going to Philadelphia. She told me everything about Las Vegas, Time Magazine told me two weeks later. Time Magazine article was boring. She told me everything. After we were talking for a while, she said, what do you do? I said, I'm a speaker. I'm in the ministry. She said, are you? I said, do you have some interest in spiritual things? She said, you know, I used to keep God at arm's length, but last year my uncle died of cancer after being diagnosed three months earlier. My grandmother's now in the hospital I am more interested in God than I've ever been before. I said, well, has anyone ever taken a Bible and shown you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven? She said, no, they haven't. I said, may I? She said, quote, if you would, that would be the greatest favor any human being has ever done. There are 30,000 people of Cedar I the privilege of leading her to Christ. Now, is my being a speaker helpful? Sure. Was it essential? In no way. All you had to do is that the conversation take its natural course, Show any kind of interest in spiritual things, she'd have taken off with you, just like she did with me. 
but the flow of the conversation has to be natural. It cannot be forced. If you're trying to force the conversation, you're going to have all kinds of difficulty because it cannot be done abruptly. That's why often long plane flights are easier for me to share Christ than short ones because it gives me more time to just turn the conversation. And the point is, it's got to be natural, not forced. Okay, now with that in mind, what's solution number one? Enjoy the conversation. Enjoy the conversation. Enjoy the conversation. Now do me a favor. Take that word enjoy, underline it again. Now once you underline it, now circle it. Now once you circle it, now box it in. Now once you box it in, I'll put a star alongside it. Now once you put a star alongside it, now put an asterisk on the other side. <laughs> now the only problem is you can't read the word. <laughs> but the point is, enjoy the conversation. Have a blast. Talk to people. Now, what do you talk about? Here we go. Talk about three areas. Here they are. A, family, B, job, and C, background. Talk about the family, talk about the job, talk about the background. Family, job, background. Now, why? Because unsaved are experts in the three areas. Their family, their job, their background. They know a whole lot more than you do. So you are going to take them from an area where they are an expert, what it means to know their family, their job, their background, the area where you are, and that's what it means to know Christ personally. So you're talking about one expert to another. Theirs in family, job, background. Yours in what it means to know Christ. And every non-Christian out there has a family. They have had or have a job. They have a background. So they know a whole lot more than you do. Now, I don't want you to have this stuff here. I want you to have it here and here. So it impacts you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So what are the three areas you talk about? A, B, C, A, B, C, A, B, C, A, B, C, B. Just one see you're there. Talk about family, job, background. Okay, number two. Let God direct the flow of the conversation. Let God direct the flow of the conversation. Let God direct the flow of the conversation. Now, why God? Because you know what is so exciting about evangelism? I could talk about this stuff all day. God is not asking anyone here to bring anybody to Christ. God is not asking anyone here to bring anyone to Christ. There is not one verse in this book, and I love this book. There's not one verse in this book that says, bring the lost to Christ. What the Bible says is, bring Christ to the lost. Only God can bring the lost to Christ. So your job is to be the directed, let him be director. Because God is not telling you, bring the lost to Christ. I have never asked one person, and I never will. How many of you led to Christ? Because that's not your job. I have said, how many of you presented Christ too? Because your job's contact, his job's conversion. And what's so exciting about evangelism is God's not asked to bring anybody to Christ. He's simply saying, will you bring Christ to anybody? Okay, now with that in mind, two things. Be open and respond to whatever he wants to do, and B, pray as you listen. Listen as you pray. What unbelievers never know is the whole time I'm having a mouth-to-mouth talk with them, I'm having a heart-to-heart talk with God. I'm asking God for two things, so they are. Direction and boldness. Direction and boldness. I say, God, give me direction, and God, give me boldness. Now, I hope it sends you out of your seat this morning right here at Watermark to know that in 41 years, gang, of asking God for direction and boldness, not one time has he failed to answer requests. Not one time. 
If I did not have it, because I did not ask God for it. Now again, not here, but here and here. What are the three things we talk about? A, B, C, two things you ask God for. Direction and boldness. Okay, three. Benefit from experience. Three, benefit from experience. Three, benefit from experience. Benefit from experience. Now look at that next line, and will you tell me if I'm reading it correctly? The more you do it, the tougher it becomes. Your repertoire transition decreases. Is that right? No, the more you do it, what? Because your repertoire does what? You know why those who do it well do it well? Because they do it all the time. And the often you do it, you build up a whole repertoire of how you turn a conversation. And one day you talk to someone you think, I know I said last week I had the conversation going. Maybe that'll help this week. And the ones that do it well do it well because they do it all the time. And you've got a benefit from experience. And you build up a whole repertoire of how you turn a conversation. And that's why when I step anywhere, across the block to my neighbor, in a taxi, on an airplane, playing sports, I have no idea how I'm doing turning the conversation. I have no idea. I'm just going to have a blast talking to people about family, job, background. I'm whispering a prayer, God, give me direction and boldness. And I've got a whole gobble experience I'm going to draw from. And those who do well do well because they do it all the time. Now, four, as you listen and talk, ask questions. As you listen and talk, ask questions that determine if this conversation might be an open door for the gospel. Ask questions to determine if this conversation might be an open door for the gospel. Now, don't get hung up on the questions, gang. Get hung up on the kind of questions they are. What do you think the future holds for most of us? People love to talk about the future even though they're scared to death about it. Do you think people today are more worried and confused than they used to be? Why do you think the problem in the world seems to be getting worse instead of better? As most people believe, we are headed in the wrong direction. So why is it getting worse instead of better? Okay, now with that in mind, five. Move the conversation from the secular to the spiritual to the gospel. Move the conversation from the secular to the spiritual to the gospel. Move the conversation from the secular to the spiritual to the gospel. Let me ask you something. Did I say to you, go from the secular to the gospel? Is that what I said? No, what did I say? Secular to spiritual. You guys are great. I don't know how many people said to me, Larry, I never thought of that. I don't know how many Christians said to me, Larry, I never thought of that. I don't know of any conversation where I've gone from secular to gospel. You, guess, you cannot say, I am so delighted to hear an airline pilot. Have you come to the point in your life that you know of your value you go to heaven? <laughs> He's going to think, boy, is she afraid of flying? <laughs> Instead, you go from something secular to something spiritual. You need a bridge in there. There's no way you can do it without a bridge. Okay, now with that in mind, having asked the kind of question you just ask, you say something like this. Do you enjoy reading about religious topics or subjects? Have you attended or become involved in any church in the area? Have you ever examined some teaching of the Bible? And then you say, don't you think the most important thing of all is that we know for certain where we're going to die? Has anybody ever taken a bow showing you can know? May I? Now, I hope if nothing else, that's caused the light to come on in your mind, a new perspective of how you turn a conversation. Now, I want, to, I want you to write something in the margin, in big letters, okay? In the left margin, here it is. Three words. Plow and pursue. 
Plow, P-L-O-W, and pursue. Right in the left-hand margin. Plow and pursue. Because that is exactly what I'm talking about. Plow in the conversation, enjoy it immensely. Pursue any way possible, turn a conversation. People have said to us, one of the best things you ever taught me was plow and pursue. I step in the supermarket, plow and pursue. I go to a gas station, plow and pursue. I step on an airplane, plow and pursue. I go to the dentist, plow and pursue. Plow in the conversation, enjoy the mess Pursue any way possible. Because there are as many ways as are people to whom you talk. If you talk to 100 people, congratulations, 100 ways to do it. If you talk to 50 people, there's 50 ways. What gets us into trouble is we memorize five or six different ways. Then we get out in actual conversation. None of the five ways work. Then we say, how can I get the person to say what he was supposed to have said so I can then come ask and ask what I was supposed to ask and I said what he was supposed to have said? <laughs> I mean, it's funny to talk about, but frustrating when it happens. Instead, you just plow and pursue. Now, how do you do that? Talk about three areas. They are A, family, B, job, C, background. You ask God for two things. They are direction and boldness. You take three steps, secular, spiritual, gospel. Now, one problem. I saw some of you were doing family, job, background. That's called cheating. God calls it sin without looking at your notes. First of all, what's the big three-word principle you wrote in your margin? What's the big three words? Plow and pursue. How do you do that? Talk about three areas. They are family, job, background. Ask God for two things. They are direction and boldness. And you go three steps. Secular, spiritual, gospel. Okay, great. Number two. What's the second one? I do not know how to present the gospel. You'd be amazed how many people say to us, I just don't know how. To, if somebody said, I want to be saved. I don't know how to explain it to them. I don't know how to print the gospel. Now, there are all those who come up with their own method. We have a son who's now 32 years old that two years ago married the girl he's been dating for 10 years. He hates impulsive decisions. <laughs> so he married the girl he's been dating for 10 years. They now live up in New Jersey. But when he was about five or six years old, he decided if his dad was going to be evangelist, then he would be one too. And he's a people person who has never met a stranger. So at five, six years old, he'd walk up to anyone, anywhere and say, what are you depending on to get you to heaven? <laughs> it's amazing how that opens conversations right up to spiritual things. And one day, my wife, he were in a hardware store. He runs up the counter and says, what are you depending on to get you to heaven? <laughs> the guy was surprised how abruptly the question came up. He said, well, I go to church. I live a good life. I try to do what's right. And David looked at my wife and he said, he ain't going to make it. <laughs> at that point, my wife had her door of opportunity because <laughs> her job to bail out the conversation. But all of us know five-year-olds get away with stuff we can't. Let's talk about it. Okay, what's the problem? One, you may not have clear in your mind the message of the gospel and the meaning of saving faith. You say, Larry, what do you mean, A? The message of the gospel is Christ what? Died for our sins and what? Rose from the dead. Christ died for sins and rose from the dead. You don't have to know the Bible to evangelize. The Bible is not the gospel. The Bible contains the gospel. The Bible is a whole lot more than the gospel. It's end time events. How to raise your children. How to love your married partner. How to love your enemy. The Bible is six, six books. The gospel is ten words. What are those ten words? Say them loudly. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. What are they? Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. What are they? 
Christ died for our sins and rose from dead. What are they? Christ died for our sins and rose from dead. You don't have to know the Bible to evangelize. You've got to know the gospel. The Bible is six, six books. The gospel is ten words. What are they again? Christ died for our sins and rose from dead. Okay, B. The meaning of saving faith is trust in Christ alone to save you. Meaning of saving faith is trust in Christ alone to save you. Look at that next verse. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who what? Believes me has everlasting life. The one book of the Bible specifically written to tell you how to receive eternal life was the Gospel of John, fourth book of the New Testament. Ninety-eight times that book it says, believe, 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 believe. It means to trust. I always say, will you trust in Christ? Don't use phrases like, Invite them in your heart. Give your life to God. They are so confusing. Talk language of the Bible. Trust. One time in Oklahoma, two men were out in a boat. All of a sudden, the boat capsized. One man could swim, the other could not. So the man who could swim took the gas tank and emptied it. Pushed the man who could not swim. The man who could not swim took the gas tank, pulled it back under him, rested his weight upon it, trusted to save him, and it did. God asked us to come to him as sinners, recognize Christ died for us, and trust in him alone, nothing else, as your only way to heaven. Be sure you're clear in the gospel and the meaning of saving faith. What's the gospel in ten words? Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. What does believe mean? Trust. Okay, two. You have never learned, what's the second reason you don't know how? You have never learned a what? Somebody said it. Method. You have never learned a method. You have never learned a method. Anyone consistent. Anyone consistent. Anyone consistent. Anyone consistent, anyone consistent, may I repeat, God in kindness I do not deserve has allowed me to speak in over 60 different locations, almost every state of the nation. I've not met a soul on the face of the earth that's consistent, that does not have a basic method. Now, some of you are thinking, Larry, won't a method make me canned? Won't a method make me mechanical? Won't a method make me unloving? Just the opposite. If you want to be the most loving person you've ever been in evangelism, master method. Why? Because when you're eyeball to eyeball with that person, frozen with fright, you know how you're going to do it. And if you want to be the most loving person you've ever been, you've got to master method. Because anyone I've met who's consistent, who witnesses every opportunity, not every other year, <laughs> but every opportunity, has a basic method. And that method frees you up because you can relax. I know exactly how I'm going to present the gospel. You may come into it differently, come out of it differently, but that method makes you loving instead of mechanical. It makes you personal instead of frigid because you know exactly how you're going to present the gospel. Now, with that in mind, what's the solution? Learn the bad news, good news approach presenting the gospel. Learn the bad news, good news approach presenting the gospel. It's treat up thousands, talk about the Savior, with clarity and confidence. Some time ago, I flew to Houston for a training seminar woman came up to me and she said, before you came to Houston, I had never led a person to Christ. She said, now I've led three. I'm so turned on and I can't get turned off. And what freed her up was a bad news, good news approach. Some have called what I'm now going to show you, the biggest contribution Evangel has made to Christianity. Now, with that in mind, take that blue booklet you have that you've just been given that my wife gave you, may I ask a question, and open up what's it say. Has anyone ever taken a Bible shown you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven? The Bible contains both bad news and good news. Bad news, something about you, good news, something about God. Let's look at bad news first. Now, all this is bad news, good news. Two points, 
two verses and two illustrations for each. You have the whole thing down. You are going to run it right here, right now. I said, let's talk about the bad news first. First of all, bad news number one. All have sinned. We are all sinners. Romans 3.23 says, all together out loud, can we? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's the illustration. Sin means we have missed the mark. We lie, hate, lesser gossip. We have missed the standard God has set. Suppose you and Iris throw a rock and try to hit the North Pole. You might throw further than I, but neither of us would hit it. When the Bible says all have sinned and fall short, it means we have all come short of God's standard perfection. In thoughts, words, and deeds, we have not been perfect. First point said, we're all sinners on 323 at the rock. Can it the North Pole? God says, then we've all come short. Then I say, no, I think you agree that's bad news. He said, yes, it is. Then I said, of course, at the bottom. But the bad news, guess what? Worse. And bad news number two, the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, all together out loud, for the wages of sin is death. There's the illustration. Suppose you worked for me and I paid you 50 bucks. 50 bucks was your wages. That's what you've earned. The Bible says by sin we've earned death. That means we deserve to die and be separated from God forever. So we had these two points, two verses, two illustrations. We're all sinners, Romans 3.23, the rock. The penalty for sin is death, Romans 6.23, wages. Then I'll say, now I think you agree, that's bad news. He said, yes, it is. Then I say, but after the Bible gives bad news, it gives you good news. Always saying in a nutshell, because at the bottom, says there's no way we could come to God, the Bible says that what? God came to us. Just there are two things about bad news you need to know, there are two things about good news. The first is, Christ died for you. Romans 5, 8 says, again, all together, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, there is the illustration anyone can identify with. And that's why this booklet is circulating across the world now in over 60 different languages. Let's suppose you're in a hospital dying of cancer. I come to you and say, let's take the cancer cells from your body and put them in my body. If that were possible, what would happen to me? He said, you die. What happened to you? I'd live. Yes, I would die, you would live. I would die in your place. The Bible says Christ took the penalty reserved for sin, placed upon himself, and died in our place. Three days later, Christ came back to life to prove since death had been conquered, he claimed to be God for true. Good news, Christ died for you, Romans 5 eight cancer. Christ did not die to show you how to die, putting others first. Christ did not die to show you how to live, sacrificially. Christ died in our place. Had he not died, you would have. He was your substitute. He died in your place. Then I say, no, I think you agree, that's good news. He said, yes, it is. Then I said, of course, at the bottom. Just as the bad news got worse, the good news gets what? Better. Good news number two, you can be saved through faith in Christ. Ephesians 29 says once more altogether, for by grace, undeserved favor, you have been saved, delivered from sin's penalty through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now, faith means what? Trust. What must you trust Christ for? You must depend on him alone to forgive you, give you eternal life. Just as you trust a chair to hold you to no effort of your own, so you must trust Jesus Christ to get you to heaven to no effort of your own. You may say, I'm religious. I go to church. I'm a good person. I help the poor. I don't do anything really bad. 
I've had people say all five of those in the same conversation. These are all good, but good living, going to church, help the poor, and they're the good thing you do. Can I get you to heaven? You must trust in Christ alone, and God will give you eternal life as a gift. So the good news like the bad news. Two points, two verses, two illustrations. Christ died for you, Roman 5, a cancer. You can be saved through faith. Ephesians 9, the chair. My concluding question is, anything keep you from trusting Christ right now? Now, the remainder of that simply explains how I help them think through is keep them from trusting Christ, pray with them as they tell God they're trusting Christ, and give assurance of salvation. And that they can benefit from your own. But simply a bad news, good news approach. Begin with the open question. Has anyone ever taken a Bible and shown you how I can know for sure going to heaven? Bad news, good news. Two points, two verses, and two illustrations for each. Bad news is, while sinner, Romans 3.23, the rock. Penalty for sin is death, Romans 6.23, wages. Good news, Christ died for you, Romans 5, a cancer. You can be saved through faith, Ephesians 9, the chair. Concluding question is, anything keep you from trusting Christ right now? But now the comments often made, the test of any teaching is not what the teacher taught. It's what the students have learned. Let's see how well you have it. Begin with the opening question. Has anyone ever taken a Bible showing you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven? Bad news and then good news. Two points, two what? Verses and two what? Illustration freak you all down. Everybody. First point of bad news. Well, sinners, verse is? Well, 323 illustration is? Rock. Second point is? Penalty is dead versus Romans 623 illustration is wages. Good news point number one. Christ died for it versus illustration is cancer. Second point is save through faith versus R. Illustration is chair. Concluding question. Anything keep you from trusting Christ? Right now. Okay, you're getting it. Let's try it again. <laughs> Give the opening question. Has anyone ever taken a Bible showing you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven? Bad news and then good news. Two points, two Verses 2, oh, straight for each. Everybody. First point of bad news. Verses. Illustration is. Rock. Second point is. Penalty is dead. Verses. On 623, illustration is. Wages. Good news, point number one. Christ died for it. Verses. Illustration is. Cancer. Second point is. Saved by faith. Verses are. Illustration is. Chair, concluding question is, anything keep you from trusting Christ right now? Okay, you're getting it. Let's try it again. <laughs> Begin the opening question. Has anyone ever taken a Bible showing you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven? Bad news and then good news. Two points, two verses, two illustrations for each. Everybody. First point, bad news. Verses. Illustration is. Rock. Second point is. Verses. Illustration is. Wages. Good news, point number one. Verses. Illustration is cancer. Second point is saved by faith versus R. Illustration is chair. Concluding question: Anything keep you from trusting Christ? Right now, okay, you almost got it. Let's try it again. <laughs> Begin with the opening question: Has anyone ever taken a Bible showing you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven? Bad news and then good news. Two points, two verses, two straight for each. Everybody. First point of bad news. Verses. Illustration is second point is. Penalty is dead versus illustration is wages. Good news, point number one. Christ died for reverses. Illustration is cancer. Second point is saved by faith versus R. Illustration is chair. Concluding question, anything keep you from trusting Christ right now? If you've not been able to tell, I'm convinced. 
Repetition is the art of learning. <laughs> One time a pastor introduced me by saying, no, Larry's going to come and give his message. If he says something, you don't get it, don't worry about it. He'll say it again. <laughs> if he said the second time, you don't get it, don't panic. He'll say it a third time. If he said the third time, you don't get it, don't worry about it. He'll say it a fourth time. But if he says a fourth time, you don't get it, you had better pay attention <laughs> because he's only going to say it two more times <laughs> just to make sure you got it. Let's try it one more time. Anybody, I mean anybody caught looking at their booklet <laughs> will be rushing the rapture. <laughs> you thought I didn't see you. <laughs> okay, begin the opening question. Has anyone ever taken a Bible showing you how you can know for sure you're going to have it? Then you say, it's bad news, good news. Two points, two verses, two verses, three. Anyway, first point of bad news. Verses? Illustration is? Okay, second point is? Penalty is death, verses? Um, 6.3 illustration is? Wages. Good news, point number one. Christ died for it, verses? Illustration is? Cancer. Second point is? Who said wages? <laughs> second point is? Saved by faith, verses are? Illustration is? Chair. Concluding question, anything keep you from trusting Christ right now? The point is, master method. In fact, what is so exciting, I never had any idea how exciting this would be. Almost everywhere I go now, I'm meeting the people who've been led to Christ by the people we trained. I had no idea how excited it would be. I flew up to Oregon, and a doctor came up to me. He said, I really wanted to meet you. Because years ago, your association taught a doctor friend of mine how to share Christ using your bad news, good news approach. He used that to lead me to Christ. Thank you for the part you played in my salvation. And the point is, learn a method. Because anyone who's consistent has a method. Now, when I go through this with a lost person, I do it just like I did with you. I read everything else. I let him read the verses. I say, go ahead, read the verse he reads, for all have sinned and fall short, glory of God. I read everything else, let him read the verses. The advantage of the booklet, if he comes to Christ, if he doesn't, you leave the booklet with him. And that's the advantage. Go on our website and you'll find out it's available in all kinds of covers, football, baseball, soccer, because of a hunter. It's even available in God bless camouflage. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's available in all kinds of covers. So you can rate the people from all kinds of backgrounds. Inside, there's the same to the comma. I keep here all day with stories about what God has done with this booklet. One of my most touching, you will love. A woman called her office. She said, I want to order 1,000. May I ask a question? Reason is, my daughter just died. We're having two more services, expecting 500 at each one. The last thing she did before she died was she had the woman in the better side of her to Christ using, may I ask you a question? We want to put in their hands the last thing she hadn't heard before she died. Now, can you imagine going to see Christ face to face? And the last thing he did on earth was to lead somebody else to Jesus. Can you imagine what it would be like? After all, what's the last thing Christ did on earth? Lead someone else to himself, the thief on the cross. So he exits the same way he does. And the point is, master method. Now, heart to heart. You may be here, and you have to look me face to face. I've been in evangelism for 41 years, training for 36 of those. There is no question in my mind. There are people who come here today, you say, Larry, I've never been able to say, I know I'm going to heaven. Number one, don't apologize. A lot of people are there. Don't apologize. Secondly, whatever you do, settle it before this day's over. In the privacy of your heart, God, I'm trusting Christ alone. It's not saying a prayer. It's not walking an aisle. It's not signing a card. Salvation is trusting Christ alone as your only way to heaven. The moment you say, I'm trusting him alone, 
If he can't take me to heaven, I am going to hell. He's my only way. That's salvation. Pure and simple. A woman came up to my wife at a retreat one time. She said, you're Tammy Moyer, aren't you? She said, yes, why? She said, I really want to meet you because your husband led me to Christ when I was a first-year student at Dallas Seminary. She came up to me after that class. She said, there, Professor, she called me Dr. Moyer. She said, I've never understood what you just told me. Apparently, I said all the right words in the application. I did not mean to deceive anybody. I've never understood this. You may be here today, and you've never understood this. Don't apologize. Just whatever you do before this day's out, put your trust in Christ alone as your only way to heaven. If you call our office, it's either numbers and the material we'll be getting, and say, I trust the Christ our seminar. I'll send you as a gift from me our book called 31 Days Living as a New Believer. Help you get started growing. 31 Days Living as a New Believer, my gift to you. If you trust the Christ in this seminar, but if you don't have it settled, don't go another day without getting it settled. Nothing worse on earth than not knowing you're going to heaven. Nothing better than knowing. So if you've never understood it, settle it in the privacy of your heart. Say, God, I'm trusting him alone. There's even a prayer in the back of that booklet to tell God how you're, what you're doing. Saying a prayer does not save. Trusting Christ saves. Prayer is only how you tell God what you're doing. But if you want to use a prayer to tell God what you're doing, there's a prayer to do so. But get it settled before you leave, before, before this day's out. Okay, what's the third problem? Number two, what's the third problem? I may not be, back to your hand now. Number three on page three, what's the third problem? I may not be able to answer there. Now, you know how to fill in. What is it? Questions and objections. objections. Great. You guys are great. Questions and objections. I don't believe there's a God. Christians are hypocrites. I don't think Christ was the one he said he was. And that stuff so intimidates us. We are afraid to say anything to anybody, anywhere. Now, what's the problem? Number one, a failure to understand your biblical responsibility. A failure to understand your biblical responsibility. A failure to understand your biblical responsibility. You say, Larry, what do you mean? Here it is. Next line. God is not asking you to defend the gospel. He simply asks you to declare it. God is not asking you to defend the gospel. He simply asks you to declare it. God is not asking you to defend the gospel. He simply asks you to declare it. There's not one verse in this book that says, can you defend me? God says, will you declare me? Now, you know what's interesting about that? Who leads more to Christ than anybody else? You know the answer. Who leads more to Christ than anybody else? You know the answer. God. Who else besides God? (laughs) Who leads more to Christ than anybody else? Brand new Christians. Know what's interesting? They don't know anything. (laughs) All they know is Christ died for me. (laughs) And they tell him, him, her, and her. And they lead a whole world to Christ. God never says, again, I love this book. There's not one verse in this book says, can you defend me? God says, will you declare me? Okay, two, a tendency to forget how people are brought to Christ. A tendency to forget how people are brought to Christ. How people are brought to Christ. Now, there's next two verses to tell you how. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. That your faith should not be in wisdom of men, but in the power of God. If you can answer every question, refute every objection, explain every verse in that book, that does not bring people to Christ. They only come to Christ when the Holy Spirit takes the truth of the gospel, drives them to heart, causes them to come to God by faith. Larry Moyer has never brought anyone to Christ, and he never will. 
God bring people to Christ. And the point is, we have to remember, if you can answer every question that does not bring people to Christ, only God can bring people to Christ. Okay, three. A misunderstanding of why, a misunderstanding of why people have to ask questions and raise objections. A misunderstanding of why people have to ask questions and raise objections. A, they have not received the clear presentation of the gospel. I promise you, make the gospel clear, get a lot less objections. It's hard to argue against the fact Christ died for me. And B, they are putting up what's commonly referred to as a what? Smoke screen. Now, not always gang, but sometimes all they're doing is repeating something somebody else told them. They have not thought through for themselves. Now, with that in mind, what's solution? Number one, take the offensive, not the defensive. Take the offensive, not the defensive. Take the offensive, not the defensive. Take the offensive, not defense. Now, please notice, I did not say be offensive. <laughs> Instead, take the offensive. Now, let me explain what I mean by illustrating what I mean. A businessman took me to lunch one time, brought an unbeliever with him. Unbeliever said to me, I don't know how in the world you can teach the Bible. Man, that thing is so full of mistakes. I said, well, I've had other people tell me that, but unfortunately, no one has shown me one. Would you be kind enough to do that? He said, well, I don't have my Bible with me. I said, that's okay. I have my pocket New Testament here. We can just use that. And I pulled it out. <laughs> now, at this point, he starts to perspire. <laughs> he said, I forget what book is found in. I said, I understand that. 66 books in the Bible. Let me name them one at a time. And maybe when I get a book where your mistakes found, it'll ring a bell. Genesis, sound familiar? What about Exodus? I did not get any from Leviticus. He said, now, wait a minute. <laughs> I have never read the Bible. <laughs> I said, now I am so confused. You said, full mistake. You've not read it. Why did you say that? He said, someone else told me that. I said, suppose you wrote a book. I criticized it without reading it. Would that bother you? He said, yeah. I said, that's what you're doing. You're criticizing a book you've not read. If you're going to criticize it, read it. Before we left, he agreed to get together with his friend once a week to start studying the Bible. I take the offensive, I never gang, take the defensive. If they say Christians are hypocrites, I'll say I'll be the first to admit that sometimes that is so true. But for everyone who's not living the life, I'll show you somebody else who's trying to. Will you come with me for one day? Let me introduce you to all the Christians I know who are living the life. I then pull out my calendar. I say, how does Wednesday of this week look? I could meet you at 9 o'clock. I've never had one person take me up on it. <laughs> Not one. But you take the offensive, you never take the defensive. Okay, two. Keep the conversation centered on the gospel. Keep the conversation centered on the gospel. Now again, the Bible is six, six books. The gospel is ten words. What are those ten words? Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. Years ago when Russia broke open, a woman who went with us to Russia learned how to witness her husband at home. And she came home and she went through the bad news, good news. He brought up something not related. She said, that's not the gospel. He brought up something else that was not related. She said, that's not the gospel. He brought up something else not related. She said, that's not the gospel. He told me to my face, he said, Larry, what brought me to Christ is she wouldn't get off the gospel. <laughs> and the point is, you keep your conversation on the gospel. God has his whole thing sewn up. If you don't think he's a God of love, you got to disprove the cross. You don't think he's God. God just proved the empty tomb. The most attested fact of history. 
There is no more test of fact of history than Christ arose. God got the whole thing sewn up. So you keep everything centered on the cross and the resurrection. Okay, three. Make each situation a learning experience. Make each situation a learning experience. Make each situation a learning experience. Dawson Trotman, founder of an organization called The Navigators, once said, they may catch me once, but they never catch me twice. The same question. If you don't know the answer, look it up and get prepared next time. Now, why is that helpful? I get asked 10 questions a year. And they're the same old 10. <laughs> year after 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 year. You learn how to answer them once. You are prepared for that same question every time it comes up. They may catch you once. Don't let them catch you twice. If you don't know the answer, look it up and get prepared next time. Make every situation a learning experience. And four, be willing, unashamed to say, now you know how to fill it in. What is it? I don't know. Be unashamed to say, I don't know. When you say, I don't know, there are two things that conveys to an unbeliever, and they both start with an H. What are the two things that conveys when you say, I don't know? Honesty and what else? Somebody else said Humility. Honesty and humility. And they are winsome with unbelievers. Honesty and humility. Be unashamed to say, I don't know. Okay, what's the fourth problem? I don't know how to turn a conversation. I don't know how to turn the gospel. I'm afraid I kind of answer question objections. I did not realize what a big problem this fourth one was until I spent two years in evangelism. That's all it took, two years. Show me what a big problem this fourth one is. I don't know where I'd find the time. I don't know how to follow up a new Christian. I don't know where I'd find time. I don't know how to follow up a new Christian. What is the number one problem in 2014? It's not money. That was 50 years ago. What's the number one problem in 2014? Time. So believers tend to be conscientious people. And they think, well, if I leave someone to Christ, I ought to help them grow. Since I don't have time to help them grow, I might as well let them go to hell. <laughs> now, we don't say that. But gang, let's be honest, heart to heart. That's what we're saying. If I leave someone to Christ, I'll help them grow. Since I don't have time to help them grow, I might as well let them go to hell. Now, please don't understand. I want to see people grow. But even if they don't grow as much as you'd like, they're still not going to hell. Please don't confuse entering the Christian life with living it. Because if you do, you will so confuse the gospel. First of all, you enter it, and then you live it. And besides, somebody can pick up where you left off. Because God has not left his throne. And somebody can pick up where you left off. A woman wrote to me. She said, Larry, here's a story. Use it anywhere you want to. She said, I led a woman to Christ. And before I knew it, she moved out of our community. I felt so responsible. I didn't get her address or anything. I thought, I led her to Christ. No, I didn't do a thing with her. She said, a year ago, we met up again. And she said, you've probably been wondering how I'm doing, haven't you? She said, I have been. She said, I moved to this new area. And you believe the first thing person I met was a believer. I told her what just happened. She said, well, let me disciple you. And I've been growing ever since then. God can bring anyone to pick up where you left off because he's still in the throne. Okay, now with that in mind, what's the problem? You have taken responsibility upon yourself that biblically is placed upon the local church. You have taken responsibility upon yourself that biblically is placed upon the local church. Now, what do you mean by that is? 
their, the follow-up is not the, is specifically the job of the local church. So if you need someone to cry, don't have time to help them grow, I promise you, somebody at Watermark has a time. There's no way I could follow everyone needs to Christ. Tonight I'm speaking an outreach, and regardless of how many come to Christ, I can't follow up a single one of them. God does not ask me to. Follow-up is a job of a local church. So if you need someone to cry and don't have time to help them grow, see one of the church leaders because somebody in this church has the time. Okay, two. You may have failed to look at your time resources from heaven backwards. You may have failed to look at your time resources from heaven backwards. Heaven backwards. You say, Larry, what in the world do you mean? Look at those next verses. What is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of Christ is coming? You're our glory and joy. Before you go to bed tonight, try not to forget. Get somewhere alone. Underneath the tree, living room, bedroom, kitchen, whatever. Take five out, five out. You've just died. You're face to face with Jesus. What will you wish had been the most important things in your life? Whatever they're going to be then, make them important now. Live life from heaven backwards. Before you go to bed, please don't forget. Take five out. Just take five out. You've just died. You're face to face with Jesus. What will you wish had been the most important thing in your life? Whatever they're going to be then, make important now. Live life from heaven backwards. As someone has said it so well, the most important things in life are not things. Christ did not die for things. Christ died for people. It's his priority, yours as well. Okay, three. You may have overlooked the foundational principle of follow-up. A new believer needs you more than they need your knowledge. You may have overlooked the foundational principle of follow-up. A new believer needs you more than they need your knowledge. People best to follow-up don't have big heads. They've got big hearts. It's not how much do you know. It's how much do you care. It's your presence that makes a difference with a new convert. A person I was privileged to cry worked for us for about 14 years. He said, to this day, I cannot remember one thing the guy covered that met with me. All I know is he was there once a week for eight weeks, and he's a growing Christian today. It's your presence that makes a difference, not your Bible IQ. Okay, five, you've overlooked the abundance of Christian resources. You've overlooked the abundance of Christian resources. You've overlooked the abundance of Christian resources. We are living in God-blessed 2014. There is so much available to help new believers. Now, all you need is one index finger. Turn on a recorder, push in a DVD, or turn a page of a workbook. It takes one index finger to disciple a new convert. And the two of you can learn and grow together. Okay, what's the solution? Number one, arrange me with a new believer once a week for eight weeks. Arrange me with a new believer once a week for eight weeks. Arrange me with a new believer once a week for eight weeks. The best problem is it's only me from once a week for eight weeks. Or find someone else who can do the same. Dawson Trotman, again, found the navigators, once said, follow-up is not done by something. It's done by someone. Paul the Apostle said, the way a nursing mother takes care of her baby, the way a father takes care of his son, that's the way I took care of you. Follow-up is not done by something. It's done by someone. Two, let the abundant availability of resources help you. Let the abundant availability of resources help you. Let the abundant availability of resources help you. 
Our association has three things. Welcome to the family, grow in the family, throw in the age of living as a new believer. Again, I sincerely meant it. If you trusted Christ today, I couldn't do this for anyone. If you say, Larry, for the first time, I'm leaving here trusting him alone, call my office and say, I trusted Christ at Saturday morning seminar. And I'll send you a complimentary copy of Throwing Days of Living as a New Believer. Throwing things I wish you told me when I came to Christ, I'd take off like a rocket. Let those materials help you. Now, whatever you do, don't miss what I have in bold print. Let's say it together, can we? The issue is never, are you afraid or what are you afraid of? But instead, what are you doing to overcome those fears? Again, together. The issue is never, are you afraid or what are you afraid of? But instead, what are you doing to overcome those fears? When you stand before Christ, be rewarded. It'll be embarrassing to say, I was afraid. That's why I never mentioned your name. It'll mean everything to say, I was afraid. And you know how you helped me overcome those fears. And see how abundantly reward you. It should not be afraid, what are you afraid of? But instead, what are you doing to overcome those fears? Now, a couple of things before we take a break. First of all, it's called the bad news, good news approach. You begin with the open question. Has anyone ever taken a Bible showing you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven? Okay, two points, two verses and two what? Okay, what's the first point of bad news? Verses? Illustration is? Rock. Second point is? Penalty is dead. Verses? Illustration is? Wait, good news point number one? Verses? Illustration is? Cancer. Second point is? Say by faith, verse R? Illustration is? Chair. Concluding question. Anything keep you from trusting Christ right now? Again, profs are known for giving exams, and I love to do it. <laughs> So, what's the gospel in 10 words? Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. True or false? In order to evangelize, you got to know the Bible. False. false. You got to know the gospel. Bible, 60 books, the gospel in 10 words. Okay, what does believe mean? It means to what? Trust. Trust. So, you say, is there anything to keep you from trusting Christ? True or false? If you have a method, that will make you awfully candid in evangelism. False. It'll make you personal and loving because you know exactly how you have to do it. Okay, if you're going to be effective in evangelism, you must know how to answer all objections. False. Instead, you have to take the what? Offensive, not the what? Defensive. Again, it's no sin to say three words. What are they? I don't know. Again, you guys are absolutely terrific. Okay, a couple of things. First of all, uh, in a moment, we're going to take a 15-minute break. I'll tell you when we'll be back by. Then we're going to talk about how to talk to relatives. And then I'm going to get time at the end also for questions and all. You guys are absolutely super. But give some time for that, answer any questions you might have, and say a few things about the other materials you have. They want me to mention that downstairs there are three books available for purchase that you might want. 31 Days with a Master Fisherman. The biggest comment I get from this book is, I learned how to share Christ out of grace, not guilt. I despise guilt trips. Evangelism is a privilege, it's not a pain. I love the illustration of the father said to the son, do you realize when Abraham Lincoln was your age, you were studying to be an attorney? And his dad, son said, yeah, dad. Do you realize when he was your age, he was president of the United States? <laughs> Deserved. The point is, it's a privilege, it's not a pain. The biggest comment I get from this book is, I learned how to share Christ out of grace, not guilt. I cannot tell you how many people said my whole attitude about evangelism changed as a result of 31 days with the Master Fisherman. Then there's our book, 21 thing God never said, correcting our misconception of evangelism. If you don't know the date you're saved, you are not saved. Wrong. The Bible never says that. If you're afraid to evangelize, you don't love Jesus. Wrong. The Bible never says that. If you have a chance to evangelize, they don't, and they go to hell, it's your fault. Wrong. The Bible never says that. 21 thing God never said, one of our most popular books. 
then show me how to share Christ in the workplace. One of the most, Billy Graham called workplace the next movement of God in America. Because there are so many people having opportunities in the workplace like they've never had before and the freedoms they have. There are things you can't do, but there's a whole host of things you can do. And how to share Christ in the workplace even gives a section on the back how to speak in the workplace. Because sometimes ones like yourself in the workplace are asked to give eulogies and things like that and tell you how to use those for evangelism. And the point is one of our newest books, but those three are down there for you to take advantage of. And uh, then there's all kinds of goodies down there, um, treats and all. It's, uh, I have 25 before, if we're back before 10 of. Is that time left? Okay, let's be back by 10 before the hour, and then we'll take up from there. Okay? Okay. Um, is this one? Okay, okay. Great. I cannot emphasize enough how tremendous a group you are. The Bible says, say what you mean, mean what you say. I would not say that, but it did not mean it. And you guys are just tremendous. I was talking to someone during the break, and I told them that in 41 years, I have never once lambasted anybody for not evangelism. I don't believe in that. I have found most people would love to lead someone to Christ. Their two biggest problems are they're afraid and they don't know how. I said to a pastor friend of mine not long ago, I would not mention evangelism from the pulpit if you're not training your people because you're going to frustrate them to no end. Because the two biggest reasons they don't evangelize are not they don't want to. They are afraid and they just plain don't know how. And there are so many unbiblical concepts out there taught in evangelism. It discourages and frustrates believers. And I hope that you find this awfully helpful by overcoming their two problems, fear and not knowing how. Okay, let's talk about how do you talk to your own relatives about spiritual things and dig in there. Now, notice how I start. There is undoubtedly no greater burden on earth than to realize individuals who are part of your family on earth may not become part of your family in heaven. But how do you go out speaking to relatives about spiritual things, and specifically the gospel of Jesus Christ? There are those sitting right here today that if we were to talk for three minutes, you would be in tears because you know people in your own family, father, mother, brother, sister, aunt, uncle, grandma, grandpa, that if they were to die right now, you would never see them again. When a believer dies, you say, so long. Only be so long do you see them. When an unsaved die, you say, goodbye. You will never see them again. There is no greater burden on earth than to know that people are part of your family on earth unless something happens will not be part of your family in heaven. I know the burden. I lived there for 27 years. I was born and raised on a dairy farm in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. And dad said we worked hard all year when the month of November came. We could have the whole month off to go hunting. And I am a, when it comes to sports, I like anything that's outdoors and physically abusive. If it, if it doesn't beat up the body, I don't see any sense in it. And so my three sports are hunting, running, and water skiing. I love to hunt one water ski. And my favorite sport is hunting. And Dad said if we worked hard all year and November came, you can have the whole month off to go hunting. So every day after school, every Saturday, I hit the woods. I looked at the deer, the squirrels, the trees, etc. I thought there's got to be a God. Design me meant love, and love meant presence. So my question is, where is he? What tree is he behind? What rock is he under? I decided to study the Bible. Maybe that'll help me. And I came to Christ for my personal Bible study. I knelt on my bed one night on the dairy farm as a teenager. I said, God, the best I know how, I'm trusting Christ alone as my only way to heaven. And my life exploded. And I realized as I grew, God took me from the creation 
the traitor to Christ, and I came to Christ from my own Bible study initiated by the sport of hunting. When I came to Christ, heaven and hell broke loose in our house. Heaven, because I knew I was going there, I don't have to tell you about that. Hell, because now I was a religious fanatic. Because in our home, if you talked about God, church, that was fine. Christ, knowing you in heaven, saved, you're a religious fanatic. After 27 years of praying, my mother and dad assured me their trust was in Christ alone as their only way to heaven. Now, in my case, mom may have come to Christ in an Assembly of God camp meeting when she was small, got away from it. Dad may have come to Christ in 1912 when the Lutheran church was preaching the gospel. But regardless, after 27 years of praying, they assured me their trust was in Christ alone as their only way to heaven. Unfortunately, it took a tragedy in our home to turn the situation around because my brother died of a massive heart attack at 46 years old. Buck your seatbelts. His wife died five years before he did of a blood clot. So the three girls lost their mother and dad in five years. 13, 12, and 8 when she died. 18, 7, 13 when my brother died. How many families do you know that the three girls lost their mother and dad in five years? And after, but the point is, God used that to turn the situation around. They started to listen to me as they never had before. After 27 years of praying, they assured me their trust was in Christ alone as their only way to heaven. And dad went to be with the Lord in 1988 and mom in 1996. But I know what it's like to wake up in a nightmare. Your dad just died and went to hell because I lived there for 27 years. I'm talking to somebody who understands the burden. Now, with that in mind, what I want to do is talk about the three don'ts and the five do's. And starting with the three don'ts, they are the place we make the most mistakes when it comes to talking about this. Okay, here we go, number one. Don't be intimidated by the past. 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 Now, what do you mean by that? A, no one knows you like your relatives. They have seen and know your past, your selfishness, your fits of anger, unkind attitudes, addiction to drugs, and a host of other things. I am one of those people that has the unique distinction of being a twin. And every time I say that, everybody wants to ask, do you look like your twin? The answer is no. She has longer hair. <laughs> but I have a twin sister. And my mother would sometimes ask, if you had you over again, would you still have twins? She said, yes, but I wouldn't have the same two. <laughs> and the fact is, there are no one knows you like your relatives, and they have seen everything. Bear in mind, God forgives you, and you must forgive yourself. Personalize Psalm 103, 12 by saying, As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed my transgression from me. Now, why is that important? It's because of B. Satan is a master of intimidation. Satan is a master of intimidation. Satan is a master of intimidation. He loves to say, what right do you have to talk to anyone? Remember when you used to? And he reminds you of all the junk in your past. And then he says, now what are you going to do when they bring that up? And he's just trying to intimidate you. Now look at the next paragraph. A forgiven person has both. Now please underline these four words. A right and responsibility. A right and responsibility. To speak to anyone, everyone. When relatives have seen a change in your life, they're not likely to bring up the past. If they do, that becomes a, here's the next four words on the line. Bridge to the gospel. Bridge to the gospel. Bridge the gospel. Lovingly say, please forgive me. It's because of who I used to be. I am delighted I have come to Christ. 
I wish someone would have explained something to me sooner. I would now like the opportunity to explain to you. One of the biggest problems I had before I came to Christ was one fierce temper. I remember the time my mother said to me, you better be careful. That's the thing that makes people kill somebody. I lived in fear that one day I could kill somebody out of my temper. I came to Christ, as my own wife would tell you, God just took that all away and taught me how to take one day at a time and not get ticked off when life did not go my way, and he just took that away. But when I saw witnessing my folks, I thought, what if they bring that up? You know what? They never once did. All Satan tried to do do is use that to intimidate me. And the fact is, they're not likely to bring up the past. If they do, that becomes the bridge of the gospel. All you say is, please forgive me. But because of who I used to be, I wish someone would have explained something to me sooner that I would now like to explain to you. And the fact is, all Satan's trying to do, he is a master intimidator. And they are not likely to bring that up. If they do, just make it a bridge to gospel. Okay, two. Don't take God's responsibility on your shoulders. Don't take God's responsibility on your shoulders. Don't take God's responsibility on your shoulders. A. Christ recognized the fact that his message was a divisive issue. Matthew 10. Do not think I've come to bring peace on earth. I've not come to bring peace but a sword. For I've not come, for I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter against her mother-in-law. And a man foe shall be those of what? Say it. Of his own household. Now why? It is the one issue on which your relatives have to take a stand. They have, do not have to take a stand on President Obama. They don't have to take a stand on the economy. They don't have to take a stand on anything we're doing across the world. But when it comes to salvation, Billy Graham has said the best. No decision is a decision. It's the one issue in which you have to take a stand. I know of a Jewish person who wrote to relatives who come to Christ, and, she, and the mother said to them, we've never met your husband, we've never met your children. You will never see us again. Now we're in the hereafter. Now why? Because that's the one issue they have to take a stand. And the fact that it is Christ recognized is a divisive issue. B, he also recognized in order for your relatives to come to Christ, now please say out loud, then underline those last five words. What is it? He had to bring them. May I say something? I don't want anyone here to leave forgetting. God is not asking anyone here to bring your relatives to Christ. Please take that burden off your shoulders. You cannot even bear that. Nowhere does God ever say you're supposed to. As I traveled with such a burden for my folks, I thought, God used me to reach so many, and I can't even reach my own folks. All of a sudden, on me, if my folks were going to come to Christ, they had to come the same way everybody else did. God had to bring them. I could only bring Christ to them. I could not bring them to Christ. Please take that burden off your shoulders. You've carried it too long. God is not saying bring your relatives to Christ. God's saying bring Christ to your relatives. Look at that next verse. If you've never memorized it, you ought to before the day's out. It's one of my favorites. John 6, 44. Say it with me. No one can come to Christ unless the Father set me draws him. Now, why is that so important? It's because of C. Concern leads to prayer. Concern leads to prayer. Concern leads to prayer. Anxiety because they've not come to Christ or guilt because you have not brought them to Christ. Leads to one of three things. Here they are, then we'll talk about them. Discouragement, frustration, or anger. 
discouragement, frustration, or anger. Discouragement, frustration, or anger. Discouragement, frustration, or anger. Oh, discouragement. Why can't they see it? How dumb can they be? Frustration. Well, if they want to go to hell, they're just going to have to go to hell. <laughs> or anger. I bet you I never talk to them again. And you're laughing because that is exactly what we do. You've done it yourself. You've heard others do it. Concern leads to prayer, but, but anxiety, because they've not come to Christ or you did not bring them, will always lead to discouragement, frustration, or anger. Now, Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for what? Say it out loud. May I ask you a question? Does that include the salvation of your relatives? Does nothing include the salvation of your relatives? Yes. God's saying, don't be anxious about the salvation of your relatives. But in what? Everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. The reason I emphasize that, because anxiety only creates problems. We become like the woman who got in a taxi cab, and she said, please, 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 This is the first time I've ever ridden in a taxi. He said, you think you're nervous. First time I've ever driven one. And the fact is, anxiety will only create problems is prayer to solve them. Every time I teach this material, somebody comes up and says, thanks for reminding me. God is not asking me to bring my relatives to Christ. Get that off your shoulders. Your shoulders are not big enough for that. God's saying, bring Christ to your relatives. Only he can bring the Christ. If they come to Christ, it's the same way everybody else comes. God's got to bring them. Okay, now with that in mind. Uh, okay, third, number three. Don't receive God's forgiveness. I refuse to extend yours. Don't receive God's forgiveness. I refuse to extend yours. Don't receive God's forgiveness. I refuse to extend yours. Don't receive God's forgiveness. Refuse to extend yours. As you can tell the way I'm teaching, I wish I had an hour to spend almost every one of these. But some of us are here and you come to Christ from some of those horrible backgrounds. I mean, child abuse, addictions, alcoholism, Father left home, mother left home, whatever, some of the worst situations. I teach not only at Dallas Seminary, but I'm a professor for World Life Bible Institute up in New York and Florida. And these are students that are just coming out of high school. And I am so blown away to tears sometimes at the backgrounds they're coming from. I said to a person who was in my class last year, how would you come to Christ? He said, if I tell you, will you believe me? I said, I promise you, I'll believe you. He said, well, as you can tell, and I could tell, he has this disease, forgive me, I forget the name where you shake. Um, no, uh, uh, no, that's no word. Yes, yes, thank you, thank you. And he said, my mother said to me, will you please commit suicide? I'm so tired of dealing with this, please commit suicide. He said, I made up my mind I was going to commit suicide. And so a person came along, he shared, before you do, could I share something with you? He led me to Christ. He said, I found out suicide was not necessary. That's the kind of background. A guy with me this year, he said, will you teach me how to forgive my dad? I said, yes, if you tell me why. He said, because he left me for six years old for drugs. I still can't get over it. My dad left me for drugs. I can't go to the background they're coming from. Now, you are coming from that same background, some of you. I mean, some horrible backgrounds. The problem is, God's forgiven you but you've not forgiven them. And if they don't see your forgiveness, it's very unlikely they're ever going to see his. Now, with that in mind, A, Colossians 3.13, if anyone has a complaint against another, 
even as Christ forgave you, so you also ought to consider doing. Right? So you also must do. God never made an option. B, God needs your obedience, not your opinion. God needs your obedience, not your opinion. God needs your obedience, not your opinion. May I speak not just an evangelist. May I speak as your brother in Christ. If you're here today and you're holding anything against anybody for any reason, and especially a member of the family, don't you dare go to bed tonight before you get down on your knees and get in the right with God. Because if they don't see your forgiveness, it's very unlikely they're ever going to see his. I love the true story of years ago, a Turkish soldier, Turkish soldier, pursued a brother and sister and killed the brother brutally. The sister escaped, got a job in the hospital. And one day they brought her a soldier and she recognized him as a soldier that killed her brother. One slip of her hand would have meant his death. But she, being a believer, took care of him and when he convalesced, he recognized her. He said, why did you not try to get revenge for the slaying of your brother? She said, because I'm a believer. And Christ said, love your enemy, do good to the person who hates you. He said, I never knew there was such religion. Tell me about it, because I want it. And the point is, if they don't see your forgiveness, they don't like to see his, and they ought to be looking at you and say, tell me about it, I want it. Don't receive God's forgiveness, refuse to extend yours. Because if they don't see your forgiveness, it's very unlikely they're ever going to see his. Now, again, those are the three don'ts. Let's review them together again. Number one, don't be intimidated by the what? Past. Okay, number two, don't take what? God's responsible on your shoulders. And three, don't what? <clears throat> Receive God's forgiveness. Refuse to extend yours. Now, with that in mind, what do you do? Five do's. Here they are. One, pray for them. One, pray for them. And get several other people to commit to do the same. Pray for them. Now, you ask God for four things, a minimum of four things. Here they are. One, laborers, laborers, somebody speak the message. What the Bible called laborers, laborers. Luke 10, 2, say it with me, will you? The harvest truly is great, but the what? Laborers are few. Therefore, pray, Lord, a harvest to send out laborers in this harvest. Now, here's what I'm getting at. Next, ask God to send someone in addition to you. As God sends someone in addition to you. As God sends someone in addition to you. Now, please notice, I did not say, as God sends someone instead of you. <laughs> That's a genuine first-class cop-out. <laughs> in addition, it is no secret to anyone who spends their life in evangelism like I do that usually always takes somebody outside the family. It usually always takes somebody outside the family. One time I led a mother to Christ in Indiana, the first thing she said to me was, I don't know why I could not listen to my own daughter. She's been telling me this for years. I said, you want to know why you listen to me instead of her? She said, yeah, Larry, why? I said, because I was not a son. You could take from me. You could not take from her. She said, you know, you're right. And the two became the closest they ever been. And God said, someone addition you. Say, Larry, no, wait a minute. My relative don't have anyone around them who's a believer. That's Okay. He's still on the throne. He can bring somebody across their path today you had no idea they crossed paths with. And the point is, as God sends someone in addition to you. Okay, two, opportunity. Two, opportunity. Laborers, I'm two, opportunity. Caution for three. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God opened to us a door for the word. In order to evangelize them, 
God has to provide an open ear and open heart. So you say, God, open the door. And even if it takes years, God is still on the throne. I can't tell you that enough. One time speaking in Tulsa, a man was visiting his sister, whom he had not seen for 20 years. She said, all I ask is this. We have an evangelist come to our church. He's been there before. He's not helped found damnation, kind of turn you off. Just come here one time. He came on Sunday, and on Monday, he trusted Christ. He then said, I cannot wait to get back to California. There's a church back there that's been praying for me for over 20 years. I'll come to Christ. I cannot wait to get back and tell him to stop praying. <laughs> and the point is, you pray for God to open the door. Even if it takes 20 years, God can open the door. When it comes to praying for someone in addition to you, for 27 years, God never answered my prayers. When the time was right, he sent the right guy along. And God used another pastor in combination with my own witness, bringing that point. And the point is, God answered prayer even if it takes 20 years. Okay, three, boldness. Three, boldness. Labor's opportunity, three, boldness. Act 429. Now, Lord, look on the threats, grant to your servants. That was all what? Both, they may speak your word. The one who cheers the God means the courage overtakes fear instead of fear overtaking courage. And by the way, so you pray, God, when you send that person, give them boldness. And by the way, a little P.S. You know what's exciting about praying for boldness, going back to the first hour? You can pray for boldness yourself even as you walk up to lost person witness to them because God hears the whispers of the heart as I mentioned in the first hour. I love the story of the mother who said to her son, now go upstairs and go to bed. Don't forget to say your prayers. All of a sudden she heard her son yell, and dear God, give me a bicycle. <laughs> she up to the bedroom door. She said, son, God is not hard of hearing. He said, I know, but Grandma is. <laughs> and she's in the next room. <laughs> the point is, God is not hard of hearing, and so therefore you pray for boldness. Okay, for salvation. For salvation. For salvation. 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 4. Prayers, intercession, give me thanks made for all men who desire all men to be saved. Pray, have others pray for non Christian family members by name. As I crossed the country, people said, You've helped me, what can I do for you? I said, Just pray for mom and dad. So I had so many letters to write and say, Thank you for praying. In fact, one couple I forgot, and I was with them a few years ago. They said, Larry, we're still praying for your folks. Anything happened? I said, oh, man, forgive me. I forgot to write to you. Yeah, something happened. And you have people praying for them. Now, again, not here, but here and here. What are the four things? They are labors, opportunity, boldness, and salvation. What's the four things you pray for? Labors, opportunity, boldness, salvation. What are they? Labors, opportunity, boldness, salvation. What are they? Labors, opportunity, boldness, salvation. What are they backwards? Salvation, boldness, opportunity. You guys are great. <laughs> Okay, B, increase your faith. B, increase your faith. Increase your faith. Increase your faith. B, it's important to pray. It's essential to pray in faith. Nowhere in this book does God ever promise to answer prayer. Nowhere. What God promises to answer is a prayer of faith. It does no good to pray if you're not praying in faith. Now, one, it's important to pray. It's essential to pray in faith. A church in Ohio that I spoke at had a one list. People they sincerely want to see saved. One man had been on one list for over 25 years. As far as he knew, it was 12 years since he darkened the doors of a church. I gave my message that night, and he trusted Christ. 
He said, God started to work in my life last week when I attended my mother-in-law's funeral because I could tell the Christians were dealing with death a lot better than non-Christians. When I looked into it, I found out they were not just praying, they were praying in faith. They were convinced if it took 25 years, God was going to bring that guy to Christ. Pray in faith. Two, think of other harder cases, humanly speaking, God brought to himself. Then say, if God could reach them, he could reach my folks. I would not lie to anyone. And I would be lying if I stood up here and told you I never had any doubt about my folks. Never had any doubt. I did. What do you do? You think of other people God brought to Christ. Say, if God can save them, he can save my relatives. We had a woman come to Christ in outreach. She was in Satan worship, in adultery, in homosexuality, on drugs. Just those four. Satan worship, adultery, homosexuality, on drugs. I said, what did I say to convince you of your need to come to Christ? She said, Larry, I did everything I could to avoid listening to you. I started by counting all the pounds of wood that were behind you. Then I went to counting your teeth. <laughs> she said, all I remember is you said two things. I don't care what you've done, God loves you. And then you gave an illustration of one person dying for another. I knew God was speaking to me. And she's a growing Christian today. I told my folks, I thought, God, if you can reach that woman, you can reach my dad. You can reach my mom. Think of other harder cases God brought to Christ. Say, if God can reach them, he can reach my relatives. Okay, pray for them. Number two, be prepared to speak to them. 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 Now, A, be clear on the biblical message. Be clear on the biblical message. Now, drop down two paragraphs and look at it. Simply put, the gospel is, now if you don't know that by now, I'm going to jump off the nearest cliff. <laughs> what is it in ten words? Christ died for sins and rose from the dead. I had a woman, I still not recovered from this. She said to me in a seminar in Oklahoma, she said, I go about evangelism not the same way you do. The only thing I don't tell people is that Christ dies and arose. That's probably important, isn't it? <laughs> I thought, important? Man, that's the message. I met people who have told their relatives everything else but Christ died for your sins and rose from the dead. And at this point, that is the thing they need to hear. They don't have to know about end-time events. They don't have to know about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They don't know how about the church operates. But they've got to know Christ died for your sins and rose from the dead. Okay, B, be clear on the meaning of saving faith. Be clear in the meaning of saving faith. Be clear in the meaning of saving faith. John 6, 47. Most assuredly I say to you, he who what? Believe me out of everlasting life. The meaning of saving faith is what again? Trust. You guys again are tremendous. Trust. Trust in Christ. Trust in Christ. My wife's here, as she'll tell you, that sometimes she goes with me when I speak, not often because of flying expense, but sometimes she does. And flying bothers her more than it does me, Probably because I've done so much of it. <laughs> but when we're going down the runway, I love to look at Tammy and say, for some reason, this plane's not taking off the way all the others have. <laughs> when we get 3,000 feet up sea level, I love to say, in all my years of flying, I've never heard that before. <laughs> but you know, now you know how to pray for it. <laughs> but there's one thing everyone who flies knows. You're not trusting a plane. Planes don't get me anywhere. What are you trusting? A pilot. Salvation's Trusting a person. Not a church, not a set of good works, not the sacraments, not your baptism. It's a person. Be sure you're clear on the meaning of saving faith. Okay, C. Be clear on the biblical issue. Be clear on the biblical issue. 
See, be clear on the biblical issue. John 11, 25, 26. I am the resurrection of life. He that believes in me, though he may die, he'll live. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never lie. Do you believe this? The question you therefore have for your relatives is, now underline this if you would, have you come to point your life that you know beyond any doubt if you die, go straight to heaven? Have you come to point your life that you know beyond any doubt if you die, go straight to heaven? A person wrote to me one time and said, suppose I say to my dad, are you a Christian? He said, yes. What do I do? I got a letter back to him real fast, said, whatever you do, don't ask that question. Because if they say yes, where do you go? You go any further. It looks like you're disputing their word. Instead, you say, have you come to a point in your life that you know, beyond any doubt, if you're to die, you go straight to heaven. And even those who claim to be Christians will often not admit to that. Okay, D, have a way to communicate the gospel that is both clear and concise. Have a way to communicate the gospel that is both clear and concise. Have a way to communicate the gospel that is both clear and concise. And that's why I taught you the bad news, good news. You know why some people never talk to the relatives? Because they don't have a method to talk to anyone. And if you don't have a method to talk to anyone, you most certainly won't talk to your own relatives. There is nothing we have done to help people reach more relatives than to teach them the bad news, good news of Christ. Somebody called the office just some time ago and said, please tell Larry, thanks to the bad news, good news, I just led my dad to Christ. I, the person who graduated, I had privileged to lead to Christ over 10 years ago, has graduated from Dallas Seminary and now a full-time pastor in Florida. And he said, he so it led so many to Christ, and the first one was his own mother. He said, the way I did it was, I told her what you told me, the bad news, good news approach. See how well you remember it. You begin with the opening question. Has anyone ever taken a Bible and shown you how you can know for sure in heaven? Bad news and good news. Two points, two verses, two tracks for each. Everybody, first point of bad news. Verses, illustration is, rock. Second point is, penalty is dead. Verses, illustration is, wait, good news, point number one. Verses, illustration is, cancer. Second point is, saved by faith. <laughs> Please don't forget you can be saved by faith. <laughs> verses are, Illustration is, concluding question, anything keep you from trusting Christ right now? The point is, be prepared. Pray to God and someone in addition to you, but get ready, because God still may want to use you. And the reason some people are not talking to relatives, they're not prepared to speak to anyone. So that means be clear in the biblical message, the meaning of saving faith, be clear in the biblical issue, and have a way to communicate the gospel is clear and concise. Okay, now, number three. This one we could spend all day on too if we had. Three. Consider a letter. Consider a letter. L-E-T-T-E-R. Consider a letter. I don't care if they're across the street or across the country. I don't care if they're in Dallas or in Dallas, Pennsylvania. And there is a Dallas, Pennsylvania. <laughs> across the street, across the country. When I travel with such a burden for my folks, I met those who saw relatives come to Christ. I say, how'd you do it? So many said, rewrote a letter, rewrote a letter, rewrote a letter. And you know what the advantage is? On like a conversation goes in one ear and out the other. They read it and reread 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 it. Even though they may never tell you they got it. I hope in this class today there are those here that this coming week 
you will sit down and write a letter to your relatives. I cannot tell you how effective they are. I'll give you an example in a minute, but consider a letter. Now, why? A, our verbal witness is not your only way to evangelize them. Unlike a conversation, you one out of the other. They read it and reread it, even though they may never tell you they got it. I flew up to New York to speak. A woman came up to me and she said, Larry, when you were here training people, you said, write a letter. I wrote a letter to my brother. I said, I have nothing to lose. You've got everything to gain. I have nothing to lose because you already think I'm a religious fanatic, so I've got nothing to lose. You have everything to gain because if you come to Christ, we'll be together in heaven. She said, Larry, I'm still trying to recover. But he called me and said, Sis, I want you to know, I just trusted Christ. Thanks for your letter. And the person called the office and said, Tell Larry that as a result of him telling us to write a letter, my niece trusted Christ from a letter I wrote five years ago. She never admitted she called me. She got it, but she just called me and said, You know that letter he wrote me five years ago? I have moved three times. I pick up the letter, lay it aside. Pick up the letter, lay it aside. Pick up the letter, lay it aside. I want you to know, as a result of that letter, I have trusted Christ. They are so effective. One time I wrote my dad the kind of letter. I said, did you get my letter? He said, yes, I did. I said, do you feel like it helped? He said, well, it didn't do any harm. <laughs> <laughs> Nevertheless, my own mother admitted that letter played a part. I mean, they are so effective. I just came back from Florida, and a woman said to me, as a result of you telling me to write a letter, I wrote a letter to my mother and dad, and two years ago, they trusted Christ as a result of the letter. Now, I'm not talking about any old letter. This has four parts. They are one. Confess anything you feel needs to be confessed. Confess anything you need feels to be confessed. Confess anything you feel needs to be confessed. Now, I'm not talking about hanging out your dirty laundry. But suppose there's something happens in between you. Get that on the table, get rid of it. It's just not worth it. Were they offended some time ago at something you did? Is there something in the past that's still not been dealt with? Get it out on the table, get rid of it. It's just not worth it. Confess anything needs to be confessed. Okay, two, compliment. Compliment. Compliment them for what they meant to you. The worst relative has something to compliment even if you have to compliment them for being the worst relative. <laughs> the worst relative has something to compliment. I said to my dad, I hope I can be as good a dad as David you've been to me. Because dad was a good dad. He taught me hard work. He taught me integrity. He taught me how to hunt. And the fact that compliment them, did they always remember your birthday? Did they help pay for your college or something? Did they take you on a vacation you still remember this day? The worst relative is something to compliment. Mark Train reported this said. Now, the only thing about that, whenever you don't know who says something, just say Mark Train. <laughs> but Mark Train reported this said, I have never met a person who could not handle a compliment. I haven't either. I use compliments, sincere compliments, all the time. Thanks for your honesty. Thanks for what you did for me. That probably didn't mean a whole lot to you, but it sure did to me. You know, compliment them for what they meant to you. Okay, three, express your concern. Express your concern for them. Express your concern for them. You say, what does that matter if we're not all together in heaven? Express your concern. I said, Dad, the one God with me in heaven is my dad. Express your concern for them. Okay, four, talk about the cross. Four, talk about the cross. Talk about the cross. You know, now, in other words, you don't say, please read the enclosed booklet. <laughs> you know what they would do? Throw a booklet aside and keep reading your letter. 
Instead, you put this booklet in your own words. Folks, this is not a one-page letter. This is ten pages. This is not one hour, it's one evening. You take a whole evening to write this letter. It's not one page, it's ten page. It's not one hour, it's one evening. You take a whole evening to write this letter. This is not any old letter. But I'm telling you, I can keep you all day with stories about what God has done with letters. Because unlike conversation goes in one out the other, they read it, reread it, reread it. Even though they may never tell you they got it, I hope in this next week there are so many letters written from this group to their own relatives that God uses. And the, the, again, those are the four C's in an effective letter. I keep saying, not here, but here and here. What are the four C's? They are confess, compliment, concern. <laughs> Some of you are scared to death to look at your notes. <laughs> confess, compliment, concern, cross. What are they? Confess, compliment, concern, cross. What are they? Confess, compliment, concern, and cross. Remember, God has never faced a hopeless situation. I love the true story, true story, of a girl who always wants to see her dad come to Christ. And she asked him, Dad, told anybody so many times to come with me to church. Please come this Sunday. He said, okay, I'll go. You asked me many times. I'll always turn you down. I'll go. Wouldn't you believe it? <laughs> True story. That Sunday, the pastor spoke on Genesis chapter 5. All the genealogies. <laughs> and she thought, oh my word. <laughs> it's going to seal forever. And she did not have the nerve to say to him, what do you think of the service? Well, the following Monday, true story again, they were having coffee. And he said to her, honey, I want you to know that last night I trusted Christ. She said, huh? <laughs> he said, I want you to know last night I trusted Christ. She said, huh? He said, last night I trusted Christ. She said, huh? She said, what did it? He said, well, it was your pastor's message. She said, what do you mean? He said, well, it was that thing he spoke from in the Old Testament. She said, what do you mean? He said, well, that paragraph he spoke from kept saying, and he died, and he died. And then he died, and he died, and he died. I thought, oh, my word, I'm going to die. <laughs> he said, I want you to know I trust the Christ. And God has all kinds of ways of getting through. And the faith fact is, God has never faced a hopeless situation. Okay, four. Recognize the balance needed between confrontation and tact. T-A-C-T. Recognize the balance needed between confrontation and tact. T-A-C-T. Recognize the balance needed between Confrontation and tact, T-A-C-T. Now, what I mean by that is, there are th those who don't know what T-A-C-T means. They've never practiced it. They can't pronounce it. They have no idea what T-A-C-T means. Then there are some people so tactful, they never attack. <laughs> they never confront. And there's a balance there. Okay, A, as God provides the opportunity, they must be asked, is there anything keep you from trusting Christ right now? Not only were we burdened about my folks' salvation, we were burdened about my wife's mother's salvation. And one day she was up visiting from San Antonio and she confessed to my wife, some days I don't know for sure if I'm saved. And Tam looked at her and said, Mom, is there anything to keep you from trusting Christ tonight? If she never saw it before, she saw it that night. You got to ask him, is there anything to keep you from trusting Christ right now? B, there may be times, however, when you need to back off for a limited period of time. Back off for a limited period of time. Limited period of time. People like you ask me, are there ever times just to back off? Yes. Yes. There are times you just got to back off, drop it for a while. 
Now, notice I said limited period of time. Socrates one time said to one of his pupils, I have to teach you two sciences. The one is how to hold your tongue. The other is how to use it. If you're going to be effective in evangelism, you've got to know how do you hold your tongue when you use it. By the time you have to back off. Now look what follows. But, B-U-T. One, don't back off in your prayers. Intensify your prayers, asking God to send and what? Additional. Again, you guys are tremendous. Additional witness. They can keep you from talking. No relative can keep you from praying. No relative can keep you from praying. No relative can keep you from praying. So, the fact is, they can keep you from talking, but they cannot keep you from praying. Now, two, this is something probably a lot of you have not thought of. Two, be certain they can tell you how. Be certain they can tell you how to come to Christ, even if they're not interested at the moment. That way, even if it be in their own deathbed with the moment to live, they can place their trust in Christ as Savior. I've said the people are atheists. I've said the cultists. I've said the people don't believe the Bible. I know you don't believe all this, but let me ask you something. If you did, based on what I told you, what do you have to do to get to heaven? I've said to people, look, I know you don't buy any of this, but could I just explain what I'd like you to know, even though you don't buy it? Now, why? Because I think there are people you're going to be surprised to see in heaven. Because what you never knew was, as they sipped in the coma, they said, Jesus, save me. And right there, like that thief on the cross, they trusted Christ. We are finding something so interesting in evangelism that people often come to Christ early, and some don't. During their midlife, they just have too many things on their mind. But they get that age where death is not 50 years away. All of a sudden, they're open like they never were before. The problem is the church thinks they cannot be reached. And we don't put a lot of emphasis on older people. And we are finding people coming to Christ in their 60s and 70s. Because all of a sudden, 80s, death is not 50 years away. And the point is, I want to be sure you know how to come to Christ, even if you're not ready. Because that way, if you're in a deathbed with five minutes to live, you can say, Jesus, save me. And I think there are people going to be surprised to see in heaven what you never knew as they slipped in the coma. They became a citizen of heaven because they said, Jesus, save me. And the point is, that's why I want to be sure they know how. So recognize the balance of the confrontation attack. Five, recognize that your actions reinforce your words. 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 Now, A, the witness of the lips accompanied by the witness of the life is, is powerful. First Thessalonians 2.10, your witnesses in God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behave ourselves among you who believe. First Peter 3.1, God says the wise with unsaved husbands. Likewise, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, that even as some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. I say the wives with unsaved husbands, a husband that won't read a written epistle, has to look at a living epistle. So be a living epistle for Christ. Now, B, the big life item of communication to non-Christians is, who knows what the big life item of communication to non-Christians is? No, something else. No, what else? What's the big life item of communication to non-Christians is? No? 
is. And as soon as I say it, you're going to say, oh, yeah, what is it? Consistency. Consistency. You're going to say Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Some of you and I are here to remember years ago when Tom Landry was let go with the Dallas Cowboys. Dallas had a parade. 50,000 turned out big in that day. And the Dallas newspaper had a whole page from Tom Landry. You know what they said? What strikes us about that man is he was so consistent. Roger Thalbach said, on the field, he taught you how to play football. Off the field, he taught you how to play life. And that guy had a consistent witness. Now, what happens if you're not being consistent? Okay, see, when you do fail, recognize that honesty is the best what? Honesty is the best policy. Honesty is the best policy. Again, I've been in it for 41 years. I can tell you something. Unsaved people are not turned off by Christians who fail. They are not turned off by believers who fail. They do not expect you to be perfect. They are turned off by believers who deceive. It's one thing to fail. It's another thing to come across like you never do. So you say, please forgive me. That's an area I really need some work. And I'm going to do better there. That is what's so winsome with unsaved. They're not expecting to be perfect. They are expecting to be honest because you're a Christian. So when you do fail, recognize honesty is the best policy. Say, I'm sorry. That's an area I really got to work on. Honesty is the best policy. Now, let's go back before we go any further and uh, remind ourselves of the five do's. What are the five do's? They are, first of all, do what? Pray for them. What are the four things you pray for? They are? Labors, opportunity, boldness, and salvation. What are they? Labors, opportunity, boldness, salvation. Number two, do is what? Be prepared to speak to them. Number three, consider a what? Letter. Without looking at your notes. What are the four parts of a good letter? They are? Confess, compliment, concern, cross. Okay, four, recognize the balance needed between confrontation and tact. And five, recognize that what? Your actions reinforce your words. Okay, now that said, look at the last page. All together, can we say it together? God has never met a person his heart did not love or his arm could not reach. As God to help you do your part as he does his. Again, God has never met a person his heart did not love or his arm could not reach. As God to help you do your part as he does his. God has never faced a hopeless situation. As God do his part, and, and again, he will help you to do, and then do yours. And God has never faced a situation. And so many times people say, well, I can't see my relatives ever come to Christ. Do you realize how many times someone said that same thing about you? And if God could get through your stubbornness, he can also get through theirs. And God never met a person. His, arm could not love, his heart did not love or his arm could not reach. One time a pastor told me, he said, Larry, I was visiting with a man in my congregation who told me his teenage son came up to him and said to him, Dad, what do I have to do to avoid mistakes you've made in your life? The son said to dad, what do I have to do to avoid mistakes you've made in your life? The dad said three things. Spend more time with your family. I wish I spent more time with you. Secondly, take more risk financially. I wish I would not have been quite conservative. And thirdly, talk to more people about God. Because the thing I regret is I did not talk to more people about God. There's a saying we use a lot of Antel because our burden for everybody anywhere it goes like this. When I stand in the heavenly kingdom 
and saints around me appear, I hope someone comes up and says, you're the one that invited me here. When I stand in the heavenly kingdom and saints around me appear, I hope someone comes up and says, you're the one that invited me here. Let's say it together. When I stand in the heavenly kingdom, saints around me appear, I hope someone comes up and says, you're the one that invited me here. Wouldn't it be exciting if that someone was a member of your own family? And having had time with them here on earth, you can now look forward to forever in heaven. All God's people can say, amen. Okay, something closing, but before we do several things. First of all, uh, you got on your table uh, several things. We ran out of these, but one is, what does evangelism have to offer you in evangelism? That uh, if you did not get one of these, we ran out, please go on our website. We train in four areas. The church, academic, workplace, and community groups like crisis pregnancy centers, disaster relief, whatever. Go on our website, you'll find all the material we have to help you in evangelism. And then you got a copy of the toolbox. The toolbox goes out two times a year, designed to encourage evangelism, and goes out free. Now, I promise you, look at it, and you're going to want the toolbox. It goes out free two times a year. Now, with that in mind, you have a form here. It says, free evangelism resources. May I encourage you, tear off the top part of that form. Do it right now. I'm going to give you a time to do so. Tear off the top part. Keep the bottom part. That's all the books I've written to help you in evangelism. But tear off the bottom part and keep the top part. And tear off the top part. Keep the bottom part. Fill out that. Please print your name and address. Because if your writing's like mine, you need to get the interpretation. Um, so please print if you would. But print your name and address on the top. And once you've done it, pass it to the end of the row. And then uh, maybe Lancer, you come together for me if you would uh, in a second. But just tear them off. Send out free two times a year. Designed to encourage you in evangelism. It's now free because some people are written the cost. And designed to encourage you in evangelism. Send out free two times a year. So just tear the top part off, print your name and address, pass the end of the row. In a moment, my friend Lance Ragers, who's here, will gather those for me. Designed to encourage you in evangelism. Give you just a second to do that before I go any further. Again, just passing the end of the row. The listing below is all the books I've written on evangelism. Spend time on our website. Just gobs of stuff. Again, we've been in it for 41 years. And uh, gobs of stuff. But just pass those at the end of the row. And then in just a second, two minutes or so, Lance will come back and get those. Now, you got an item, 
that I hope will almost send you out of your seat. And that is, you got an item called the Evangelism Study Bible. Do you realize we are 2,000 years inside of Christ? There is not one Evangelism Study Bible in the market. This October, the end of this month, Evangel is going to release the first ever Evangelism Study Bible. It'll be on the shelves the end of this month. You can go on CBD, go on our website. Over 250 breakout articles. How to overcome discouragement evangelism. How to turn a conversation. How to reach your children. Over 250 breakout articles. Over 2,500 notes in evangelism. Genesis and Revelation, you see God's heart for the lost. It's being acclaimed by leaders across the nation for its content. The Evangelism Study Bible will be released at the end of this month. And just can't wait. It's right now just through customs because it's been printed in South Korea to keep down the cost. And we just got word it's through customs. And it's now in the U.S. Uh, we have two copies, the only two in the world at our office, <laughs> because they're just about to be released by the end of this month, and I can't wait to, uh, uh, for you to see it. But I assure you, if there's something that's going to help you in your own evangelism all, it's uh, Evangelism Study Bible. It's the study Bible for you in evangelism. Then you got an item entitled Evangel, or Because Eternal Life Only Comes Through Christ. Please understand, this is a training session. This is not a fundraising session. At the same time, I would encourage you, if God has so blessed you, and you can assist us in helping others, please become part of those who, through your contributions, help our ministry. I no way apologize for saying that. We operate debt-free, and we're always trying to find people. After 41 years, God has given us so many opportunities. We're just trying to build up our budget to do more. Last year, we presented the gospel to just under $2 million, $30 million since 73. We're just trying to build up our budget to do more. Now, that's to help us, but it's not just to help us. It's to help you. What did Jesus say? Where your treasure is, what? Your heart is also. Jesus knew people. Your heart will always follow your money. And I tell people, if you want to have a greater heart for lost people, one thing to consider, giving and supporting a ministry, that all it does is evangelism. Every month I remind you, Christ died for me, and I'm helping reach others for Christ. And people support ministry tell me it's been such a help in my own evangelism because it reminds me to keep first with me what was first with him. And so again, if God so bless you can assist us, we'd be grateful for that. But I told you more about us, so no more about us. Okay, um, I believe that's it that I have to say. Oh, um, one more thing, and that is this item right here. Uh, Lance, could you help me with this? Um, these are, they asked me to give these to you, a questionnaire to fill out right now during our question and answer time then pass them to the end. And uh, a questionnaire in this time together, all I know to say is be merciful to me a sinner. Uh, but uh, fill out the questionnaire, then pass the end of the aisle, and uh, uh, then we'll collect those afterwards. Just lay them on the end of the table. But you can do that as I'm answering questions. Uh, we have uh, uh, 10 minutes here. And then I want to say one thing from my heart straight to yours before we close. But before we do, any question you want to ask about anything I have said, haven't said, should have said, should not have said, Whatever. Any questions? I have a question. Okay. Um, for, how would you respond to a family that may have grown up in a religious uh, environment, more like Catholicism or very structured religion, um, but yet doesn't appear to be walking with Christ? Okay, great question. Somebody grew up in a family, maybe a religious background, but don't appear to be walking with Christ. Yeah. Okay, several things. Never confuse entering the Christian life, but living it. Never confuse those two. So we ask them two questions. Do you know beyond any doubt if you're to die, you're straight to heaven? 
Get that settled first. Do you know beyond any doubt if you're dying, you're straight to heaven? You can even ask them. If you stood before God, I would ask you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you tell them? I want to find out if they're trusting Christ. It's not walking aisle. It's not saying a prayer. It's not being part of a church. Then say, are you growing as a Christian? If they are clear on that, then say, are you growing as a Christian? If they give a dishonest answer, they're deceiving themselves, not you. You've got nothing to lose. But I ask them, have you trusted Christ? Are you growing as a Christian? And I keep those two completely separate. I've had them say to me, I've trusted Christ, Larry, but I'm not growing. Can I help you there? But, and by the way, I wish I had a, uh, a chalkboard or something here to do this, but I don't. Uh, let me explain it this way. This will be very helpful to you uh, because people have told us next to the bad news, good news, this has been the most helpful thing they've ever learned evangelism. Uh, sometimes you have someone, you're not certain where they are. I draw three circles, if you can follow me for a moment, three circles. Inside the one I put, W, what do you think it stands for? Works. Inside the second I put, C plus W, what's that stand for? Christ plus works. Inside the third I put, C, what's that stand for? Christ alone. I say, some people trust the works, some Christ plus works, some Christ alone. Where are you? The one that does not understand it often points to Christ plus works. Then I say, if you're trusting works, you're saying, Christ's death was unnecessary. I write the word unnecessary, another circle, unnecessary. Because anything you did get you to heaven, he didn't have to die for you. If anything you did get you to heaven, God made a fool out of Jesus. If you're trusting Christ plus works, you're saying, his death was disappointing. He paid for those sins, I paid for these, he didn't get the job done. If you're trusting Christ alone, you're saying, his death was sufficient. And I write some fish underneath that circle. Now, in Christ on the cross, what did he say? It is what? Finished. Now, turn in your evangelism, in your study Bible, turn your evangelism study Bible to the third page. Evangelism study Bible. There you see what I'm talking about. Now, that's the kind of articles that are in this Bible. That's the kind of articles. People have told me, next to bad news, good news, the three circles have been one of the best things you taught us in evangelism. Because it helps people understand it's not Christ plus, it's Christ, period. And that's why you want to know if you're saved? Don't say, do I pray like I should? Do I love others like I should? Who of us on any given day have been what we should be? You say, have I trusted Christ? If you trust Christ, you're saved even if you don't always live like it. You are saved. It's Christ, period, not Christ plus. But then say, am I growing? But keep those two completely separate. Good question. The hell? Okay. What else? Okay. Yes, there is. That's a great question. Always ask and seek the Lord's mind about the timing. Always say, Lord, show me when's the right time. When the time was right, I wrote a letter. I wrote more than one letter. You don't have to just write one. You might more than one. But seek the right timing. When might be the best letter? When might be the best time? Because sometimes most people come to Christ. That's why today is such a great opportunity. Most people come to Christ in the midst of a crisis. Loss of a mate, loss of finances, loss of a job, loss of health. Most people come to Christ in the midst of a crisis because all of a sudden they look up. And so sometimes if they go through some kind of crisis, that's the time to write the letter. Uh, 
but just seek the Lord, just like to ask God for open doors. When's the right open door for the letter? Great question. Another one. Someone who's not of the Christian faith? Okay, such as, can you put a little bit more on that? Has no interest at all? Somebody who's what? Okay. Uh, first of all, great question. Engaging conversation, secular, spiritual gospel. So engage conversation. And then get to religion, church, whatever. Now, whenever you do that, I don't care if it's a cult, religion background, you want to keep your conversation on two things. Who is Christ? Is heaven free? Who is Christ? Is heaven free? Always want to keep your conversation on two things. Who is Christ? Is heaven free? So I talked to somebody, Muslim, whatever, who you think God was, who you think Christ was. One thing you've got to emphasize with the Muslim, he's a God of love. They know nothing about a God of love. They know a God of hate. They know they know a God of love. And again, you keep going back to cross the empty tomb. Don't misunderstand me. I believe this is the word of God without mistake. But lay that aside, you've got to deal with Christ. So I challenge people to disprove the empty tomb. Well, I don't, that thing about Jonah and that big fish, I don't buy that. That's not the issue. Issue is Christ. Christ talked about Jonah and the big fish like it was true. If Christ is who he said he was, everything else is true. If he wasn't, it doesn't matter who, what he said. And I keep taking him back to the empty tomb that Christianity does not stand or fall in the Bible. It stands and falls the empty tomb. So I challenge them, will you disprove the empty tomb? Because if you do, you're in a Guinness World Book of Records. Nobody's ever done it. And it stands and falls in the empty tomb. Good question. Okay. How do you talk to somebody about if they're saying, you know, well, my relationship between uh, God and me is just personal. It's not really meant for me to go around and share. Like, I've heard a couple of people who call themselves Christians or believers, but they're just like, it's between me and God. I don't feel like I need to go to church or all this other stuff. So I'm just trying to find a loving way about how to explain that. Uh, Great. Again, these are great questions. First of all, I say, look, I'm concerned about a lot of stuff. But the thing I'm really concerned about the most, above everything else, is not church and everything. Do you know beyond any doubt, if you're to die, you go to heaven? And I want to get that settled first of all. You know, if you never go to church again, I want you to. But if you don't, I want to know for sure that you're going to go to heaven. And I've already made that clear. Do you know beyond any doubt, if you're to die, you go to heaven? Then, there's another thing I take the offensive, not defensive. If they struggle with church or something, could I ask you this, though? Why do you struggle with church? Is it because of a bad experience? And you write off the rest because of that one? You know, I take the offensive, not the defensive. They say, I just don't want to talk to people about Christ. And I know Christians are supposed to. I can understand. But could I ask you one thing? If you knew you could lead one person to Christ, would you ever want to? I've never had no, anyone say no. If you knew you could lead someone to Christ, would you want to? Or are you just afraid? Well, I'm really afraid. Join the club. I take the offensive. I try to address specific reasons that they're getting at. But beyond anything else, I want to make sure they're not confusing entering the Christian life and living it. Good questions. Another one. Uh, do you have anything specifically about uh, Jewish faith? Jewish faith, uh, it's so helpful, two things. It's, first of all, again, you go back and you challenge him. Christ said he was Messiah. It's all based on the empty tomb. If he was what he said he was, you know, everything he said was true. 
and you go back to the empty tomb. Uh, the other thing is, there's a book entitled Betrayed by Stan Tuchin, T-E-L-C-H-I-N. The caption reads, what do you do if you're 50, Jewish, and successful? And your teenage girl says, I believed in Jesus. It's about a whole family came to Christ because the teenage girl said, Dad, prove me wrong. And she challenged him to prove him wrong. Over 60 people walked the earth saying they're the Messiah. Over 60 and counting. Probably be a few more tomorrow. But Christ was the only one empty tomb, only one pre-announced. Over 300 prophecies said he's coming. When he came, he fit the prophecies. Christ was the only one empty tomb, only one pre-announced. All the others showed up. He was pre-announced. So I take them back and I say, will you study Christ against the Old Testament prophecies? Because they accept the Old Testament. And was he the one he said he was? And I've never met one person who studied objectively that did not become a believer. Not one person. But you've got to study objectively. Now, if they don't, you can't do anything about that. Great question. What else? Be, betrayed, betrayed by Stan Telkin. T-E-L-C-H-I-N. T-E-L-C-H-I-N. Don't give a book to a non-Christian. You loan it. Because if you loan it, you ask for a response. I need it back in a month. You never give a book to an unbeliever. You always loan it. I need this back in a month. I'd love to know what you think of it. Great question. Another one before I say one thing in closing. Have time for one more, and then I think we're done. You guys are terrific. Uh, the evaluation forms past the end. If we did not get anyone addresses form, pass that to the end too. And be, uh, any other question? Okay. Yes. Yes. Uh, for the Old Testament prophecies? Oh, I see what you mean. Uh, good question. Uh, two things. Uh, one of my favorite is still older book, but still one of my favorite. Evidence that demands a verdict by Josh McDowell. Evidence that demands a verdict by Josh McDowell. He started their side of the tracks. He said, I always figured Christians had two brains. The one was lost, the other one without looking for it. <laughs> and he started their side of the tracks. And it's so effective. And one thing he does is he shows the prophecies about Christ and how they fit Christ. Now, when it comes to the specific thing you're referring to, uh, one of the best things you could do is get a good commentary or something on John and it will tell you that references to the Holy Spirit is not to Muhammad. And it will show some of the parallel verses. And a good commentary on John, and there's several of them out there, will show you that the proof that those verses are talked about, another one's coming, Holy Spirit, refers to Holy Spirit, not Muhammad. And it will show you the parallel verses. Good question. Anything else before I say one thing in closing? And also remember, I'm here headquartered in Dallas. I'm on the road about 40% of the time. If I stay in one place, please find me. So I always have to keep moving. Uh, but uh, uh, if I can be of any help, seriously, I'm here in Dallas. I give my life evangelizing the lost and helping you do the same. 
So please, if I can be of any help, call our office. You can meet the office, whatever. I am here to help you. I'm a member here at Watermark, and if I can help you in any way, please, I am here to help. I can't say that enough. One thing with that in closing, and I'll be here for you to ask questions, whatever, but heart to heart. Uh, one time there was a uh, man, a boy walked along the seashore and saw gobs of starfish. I mean, he walked along the seashore, saw gobs of starfish. He started picking them up and throwing them back into the water. Man came along and said, what are you doing? Boy said, I'm saving these starfish. And the man said, you got to be kidding. There are thousands of starfish. You can't save all those starfish. The boy picked up one starfish and said, I may not make a difference in every starfish, but I'll make a difference in this one. <laughs> and threw it back into the water. You will not reach everyone in the Dallas Metroplex for Christ. But if you reach one person in your life, first of all, you will never recover. There is no recovery known to man. Secondly, you will go to your grave part of the 5% of all Christians who ever lead someone to Christ instead of the 95% who don't. Studies have proven 95% of all believers never lead someone to Christ. You know why? They're not talking to anyone. You cannot talk to anyone consistently without leading someone to Christ eventually. They're not talking to anyone. And you cannot keep talking to people without sooner or later leading someone to Christ. And you'll go to your grave, part of the 5%, not in the 95. And the thing that makes me so excited about you is you came because you want to be part of the 5%, not in the 95. And so with that in mind, I close with the first thing Christ ever taught disciples. The first thing he ever taught disciples. Now how to love your husband. Now how to love your wife. Now how to raise your children. Now how to be a person of integrity. Now how to operate your business. It was, follow me, and I'll make you what? Fishers of men. So go follow and go fish. All God's people can say? Amen. Amen. Thank you.